Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the roundtable discussion podcast where we talk about the classics. My name is Chase, and I will continue to be your mostly quiet producer. Today, we continue our discussion about Beowulf. If you would like to support us, you can do so at our network Patreon at patreon.com slash ghostlightmedia. You can find us at our website with a link to our merch store at shakespearepod.com. And if you could give us a rating or review on your podcatcher of choice, we'd greatly appreciate it. And now, on with the show. I forgot to mention part of my sweet Christmas haul was uh, my wife custom uh, designed some Chuck Taylor boots for me. Ooh. And she did them in a style of a bowling shoe somewhat because she knows I love bowling shoes, but they are brown uh, and green leather uh, with mm-hmm. orange laces. I bet you look like Legolas. Yeah. She was she was super <laughs> concerned. She's like she's like, okay, so like one of your gifts, you're either going to love it or hate it. Um, and I love them. I think they're fantastic. Um, while we were with family, I did try possibly one of the worst beers I've ever had in my Ooh, life. Love that. <laughs> it's called Cockbach. <laughs> it Jesus. It is a Bach made with rotisserie chicken. Nope. Stop doing this. God, shit. that. <laughs> Which family member subjected you to that? That was Chad. Fuck Chad. That was Chad. Who? This is a. It is a Connecticut brewery, Tiny House, which they also made the best beer that I had this year called Scrooge. It was their winter beer. It tasted. It was amazing. But this, the Cockbock, is sinful. It is a, not, not in a good, good way. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. No. Chad, like, I hope you're listening a, to this. I hope you never do that again. He, I promise he doesn't. I promise he doesn't. I don't know. I promise he doesn't. I think Charlie does. Char- I will, or Charlie has in the past. Well, when I, because I did complete my Greenlee set. Yes. I don't know if I completed it before last recording or after. You said you were did, about to, I think. I can't remember. Yeah. I think it was in the process. In the process. I completed time. my Greenlee set. Like the Pokemon, I've collected them all now. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I explained that I was one of the ones who did Shakespeare, he goes, oh, oh, you're that Beth. And I went, I'm sorry, I have a foul mouth. <laughs> I promise I still know about money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am that Beth, but I do like, know. Uh, I can about say fiduciary in response. two ways. <laughs> I can say it normal, and then I can also do like fiduciary. So. She's it's got versatile. Get you a banker that can do both. Gamut it's, covered. It's versatile. Versatile. All right. Oh so man. I I'd like to start off. Um, can I tell you guys about my dinner conversation tonight with my kids? You can, but you can you could start us off on this episode of Shakespeare. So this episode of Shakespeare, uh, we're talking about Beowulf again. So I'm Beth Roars. I'm Ryan Halfill. I'm Cassie Greenlee. I'm Chase Greenlee. So while we were I, at dinner... I am so excited about this. Yeah, so when we were at dinner tonight, I was like, all right, boys, uh, mommy has to get on a, a meeting tonight, uh, so bedtime's going to be a little different. Uh, I, You know, I've got to talk about Beowulf. Do you guys remember when I read you Beowulf? And they both were like, mm, kind of. 
And James goes, <clears throat> yeah, I know Beowulf. We watched it at my daycare. I'm like, oh, God, no, you didn't. <laughs> so I should preface also with he has started, like, the inse- like he's five. So an incessant lying about shit you know he's lying about. Like, ah, when I was at daycare, I saw a dog fly. Like, no, stop it. Like, just testing it out. T- trying to so, see how it fits. I was <clears throat> taking notes. And he said Beowulf was out there killing werewolves. He found a tiger. Okay. He fed it okay. as a pet. He kept the tiger, fed it as a pet, and then he ruled the animal kingdom. Uh, and then later was going to go back and kill Godzilla. Look, actually, oh. he's not, not... He's not that far off. He's not far off. So, I'm not Look, sure that the he... The ending... Didn't you remember close. when I read it to him? Because I didn't read him all of it. But I yeah, definitely... but I mean, like he—he definitely—he definitely hit some of the high points there. I mean, the tiger thing—that's you know that could have happened. They did, maybe that got excised from the text. So he's out um, there killing werewolves. Which I mean, he found you know, a tiger. Beowulf. A pet. Beowulf could you know Grendel could have been a werewolf. That's could have been a werewolf. Could have been a werewolf. So that's 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 what Jamie thought. That's... I like James's version. I think that's I do as well. I do as well. Of the of the text. And then of course Chris had to chime in with, Yep, all that's true. And Angelina Jolene had really big heels. Hmm. Which, which is my least favorite adaptation of Beowulf. Oh god, yeah. Oh we gotta talk about that. Um So during the the break, um I decided to go peruse my binder from senior english yeah because i don't throw anything away um just to see if i had kept any of my beowulf related uh schoolwork the answer is no i did not find it worthy of holding on to but i did find my photocopy of dream of the rude which we also read in high school senior english wow which if you're not familiar is uh, the story of the crucifixion from the point of view of the cross. I mean, nailing a man to you is pretty rude. That is that is pretty rude. <laughs> not gonna lie. Um, it's rude. But I did not find any Beowulf um, material, but I, I know that I did some. I remember very distinctly having to copy out uh, part of the translation and identify the sejuras and uh, identify alliteration and and well yeah and there's a lot of alliteration and in in this all that kind in of the stuff epic style obviously but alliteration structure. is huge in Beowulf um a lot of literative alliterative rhyme used mm-hmm. in Beowulf most um, of it is with the letter H so language I guess we'll start right there. Yeah. This is the first known written, you know, the first, this is held up as, this is the start of, you know, English literature. English literature. Yeah. Uh, written sometime between 975 and 1025, either, you know, perhaps during the reign of Athelred the Unready. Uh, <laughs> the English king Athelred the Unready, or uh, you know, because of that was during the time of uh, Svein Forkbeard the Danish, uh, 
warlord or Knut the Great, who was I the was born son in the of wrong Spain. time. Why? Why do I not have a name like Forkbeard the Great? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Knut the Great was the son of Spain Forkbeard, and it, so it could have been during Knut's reign, which would have been like ten sixteen. Um, Knut was king. He actually was king of Norway, Denmark, and England. He wore three crowns. Um, so actually, time. big head. Yeah, he. Uh, he also there's two two kings of England who have had the great uh, added to their name, and Alfred uh, and Canute are those kings. Alfred and Canute. Ooh, that would be a good epic tale. Alfred and Canute. Yeah, make it a good comic. Yeah, there you go. The Adventures of Alfred and Canute. I'm sure somebody would be mad at me. Somebody probably. Almost certainly. Okay. Well, histor- you know, historically, they weren't at the same time, so. Oh, well. That's some of my favorite stuff. I was anachronistic. But, uh, so language, uh, this is an incredibly important work. It, uh, the manuscript exists. It's the Noel. Um, I think it's in the British Library. We would have seen that it. Um, it's the Noel Codex is the name of the manuscript. It was held in the library. Uh, it's, the name comes from Lawrence Noel, who was a 16th century scholar. Um, and it was held in the library of Sir Robert Bruce Cotton. Um, uh, the official designation is British Library Cotton Vitilius AXV. Because it was one of Sir Robert Cotton's holdings. Um, and his library classification system, as it was at the time, would have been Cotton Vitilius AXV because it was the 15th book on the A shelf, the top shelf of that bookshelf. And Vitilius, there was a bust of Roman Emperor Vitilius uh, on top of it. And so that's how they're, you know, no Dewey Decimal for them, motherfuckers. Nope, that's my shelf that has. Emperor Vitellius on top, and it's the 15th book from the left on that top shelf. That is literally how I can tell you where things are in my library. Uh, Well, mine's not very organized because we moved in and it was like, uh, get some books on the shelves. Well, I mean, it was originally in alphabetical order, but since then, whole sections have shifted and we don't have any more space. Well, I'm sitting over here and... Cassie gets mad at me when I accidentally hoard books from the library. They're not on my spreadsheet. So funny, case. funny tie actually between the Noel Codex and William Shakespeare. Just so you know, a little strange tidbit of information. Uh, Noel, who had the Codex, got it more than likely um, when he was in the household. He got it from probably through William Cecil, but when he was tutoring Edward de Vere. Hmm. You just said Shakespeare and de Vere in the same sentence and you didn't flip out. Are I know, okay? but but it's it's my odd like tying it back into what we actually talk about. Edward de Vere, who did not write Shakespeare's plays, but was tied into the guy who had his hands on this that the Codex is actually named for. So I... We were in the British Library, 
We were in the museum yes. part of the British Library. I vividly remember looking at the original manuscript of Pride and Prejudice. I remember looking yes, at, there was uh, lots of, of music. There was stuff everywhere that you could look at. I don't remember seeing this Beowulf. So did we just like walk past it and we're like, eh, Beowulf, we've seen so many other cool things today. Or well, did you, did you walk past and see Noel Codex and not go, oh, that's Beowulf? Yeah, that's probably, probably what Because why would you think Noel Codex, Beowulf, huh? Unless you they need to label that of, shit better then. Yeah. Cassie, we gotta go back. I'm, I'm there. Let's do it. Let's do it. But it had suffered some damage. There was a library fire um, in the Cotton Library, um, which did damage the manuscript some. They've rebound it to try and they rebound it to try and save it. There's some degeneration, obviously. And when they rebound it to save it because after the fire, they did cut off some of the text. Um, Whoops. You can do what you gotta do. But it's a thousand years old, so. So yeah, uh, they use some fiber optic backlighting and, and ultraviolet lighting to prepare the, uh, the electronic version of the text when they did that, um, to reveal some of the, uh, manuscript that was lost from binding and erasure and, and a ring, ink blotting and things like that. Which is why we have such a complete. Did we find, was there palimpsests on it? I'm sure there were. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, two scribes worked on the manuscript of Beowulf. Um, the, the original poem is not known or the author is not known. It's referred to as the, uh, just referred to as the Beowulf poet. Nobody knows who, who wrote Beowulf. Well, no. And if it's an oral tradition, it's not written by any one person. Calling no, them yeah, Grimm's it's, it's fairy like a, tales is a misnomer, as they aren't Grimm's. They don't belong to him. He's Grimm, just the one. Grimm like, just went and collected them. The Grimm brothers collected the, the tales. Collected them, wrote them down, did some, you know... Creative edit edits. Here and there of things. Creative license. As... Light monster hunting. As... What? Oh, I Light love monster that. hunting. I'm sorry, but I love <laughs> the Grimm's... Like, I love that movie. But I'm a Terry Gilliam fan, so... like it, uh, Look, I... I I just wanted to point out that there is a Brothers Grimm movie where they fight monsters. And it's fantastic. Yeah, it's fine. The Gingerbread Man is my favorite. So. Oh, gosh. I don't even know. Where do you go from that? From the... <laughs> Either way. So there's a there's actually a lot of... We were talking about... You brought up oral tradition. There's a, There was a huge... Like, in the 60s and 70s, there was a ton of de- scholarly debate about the oral tradition... Uh, in the context of Beowulf, um, it was a big deal at that time. As we read Beowulf, one of the things that is so apparent is the stamping of Christianity on top of it. Yeah, and and that was a thing that I definitely wanted to talk about, is that this is a pagan poem. It was written, or the, the oral tradition passed down from 6th century pagan, you know, and actually, that was a thing that Tolkien um, discussed about the work is like as far as dating the work is there's no way that it could have been written too long after the Christianization of Europe. Because there's still a lot of pagan element to the story and to the work and to the poem itself 
but it was clearly written by a like the poem when it written down the manuscript that was written down was written by Christian and those allusions were added yeah yeah there's a section where the narrator who is speaking tells you and I want you to remember that these people that the story is about they did not know about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ yeah these big fucking dirty pagans <laughs> but we're going to assume that if they'd known about him, they would have followed him, and therefore we're going to add those. We're going to pretend that these motherfuckers were Christians, like because us. Beowulf all the time is talking about like God Almighty, and you know, it it's a little incongruous to read occasionally. It's, uh, it's like, wait a minute, you told me that they didn't know about this, but here they are referencing it. Well, and we also get uh, every time they talk about Grendel. Grendel's mother, they're talking about um, Cain and how yes. uh, well, and actually, Cain, Cain killed Grendel's father. And I want to come up with, with some of that, too, is that the Cain reference is might not actually have been Cain in the original text, but Ham. A different biblical <laughs> figure referenced, but Ham. it does change... The connotations, if it is, if Grendel's line is descended of, of Ham's family than as opposed to Cain's, not that the biblical implications really matter, but they do in the context of this poem, because of the way the poem was written. But, so, one of, one of many reasons colonizing groups take uh, pre-made stories and add them in to their own, I don't know, story lexicon, is that it lets people know exactly what you're talking about without having to explain everything. Well, it creates so a, throwing Cain in there, everybody who is in this now post-Christianity world has an idea of who Cain is and the and they're the going to be able to murder to connotate that with Grendel. Oh, well, this is a monster. Then you know, he's, yeah, well, yeah, and I evil. I think it's worth being explicit about this because i think we glossed over it uh in the first episode kane specifically comes up as the progenitor of grendel's line. yes like there is a there is a direct familial relationship yes yep. that um grendel is somehow descendant of the first not only the first murderer but the first kinslayer yeah, yeah. Um, um and that is kind of put as the cherry on top of uh, Grendel's fiendishness is that not only is Grendel bad, but Grendel comes from the the founder of bad. Yeah, he comes from from bad. Yeah. So the the Christianity stamp that's on top of this doesn't fit quite right. But it also at the same time allows us to instantly enter into a, a civilization that we really like there, there isn't a ton to get us there. We only have oral traditions to get us there. Um, but since we're talking about how Grendel became evil, I'd like to talk about one of my favorite adaptations of all time of this. Okay. And that's the Mud Show. Oh, the Which mud I'm, not, show. I'm not familiar with. I have not been to that Ren Fair. So I suggest that all of our listeners go out on YouTube and find the Ohio Renaissance Festival's Beowulf in the Mud. It is three grown men 
Two of which who've done it at least for the 30-ish years that I've been going there. Yeah. So, three grown-ass men who get in the mud every day to perform Dante's Inferno, Beowulf, and a Viking show. Which I've never gone to the Viking show. Sorry, Ryan. The Viking show's uh, pretty good. Hey, but I mean, you had me at Dante's Inferno. It's always at the, it's like yeah. at three o'clock in the afternoon. The, and I'm the best of the of the divine comedy. Uh, True. But Grendel is just a normal boy in their story. Walking to school every day through an evil swamp with clicking evil bugs everywhere. And the swamp eventually tempts him to put hell's own dookies. Handfuls of the mud straighten his pants. And that is how Grendel becomes evil. Just so you know. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's how Grendel becomes and the, evil. And they even rip an arm off. Who, it's fantastic. The actor who plays Grendel every year is this like scrawny twig of a man who is bald on top but with long curly hair on the side. Oh, he's fantastic. And when he like descends into the mud pit and then like springs out of the mud pit like flinging mud from his hair <laughs> to attack Beowulf it's glorious he always he takes the mud and slicks his long hair straight up in a spike and then he goes and he sits in the audience and he always takes someone's sunglasses and sits there just covered in mud next to them just hiding from Beowulf no, it's, it's amazing sounds like a good it's time sounds fantastic. like a good time one of the best theatrical experiences. There isn't much theater that I would go see the same show every year. Because it does not change. This is the first is. year in like well, 30 years. Well, it's a sign of a good Renfair show, though. Yeah. The sign of a good Renfair show is that it doesn't change. No. Which is and it means that why we've seen Dirk, Dirk Perfect and Guido Crescendo year after year. It, it means that when you say Grendel... There are just, there's a swath of people out there who go, Grendel, Grendel, whoo, Grendel, 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 Which is uh, the sound the swamp makes as it tempts Grendel to put hells on poopies. There are some, and, uh, there are some, uh, some adaptations of this. The 2007 oh, God. animated. Sean Bean. No, it's, oh. not, it's not Sean Bean. It's uh, Ray Stevenson. Winstone. Not okay. Uh, Maybe we're talking about two different adaptations. The one with Angelina Jolie in it. It was a animated mocap animated from yeah, two thousand seven. That was Sean Bean. No, Sean Bean was not. It was Ray Winstone. Yeah, I got the IMDb pulled up. It's right. It's Ray Winstone. Crispin Glover plays Grendel. Angelina Jolie plays Grendel's mother. Uh, Robin Wright plays Wheeltho, who is the the Hrothgar's queen. Uh, Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins, plays Hrothgar. Hrothgar. Um, it is bad. <laughs> it's terrible. So one of the things that makes me so sad is that Neil Gaiman wrote this screenplay. Oh, buddy. And it's so bad. Like, everybody's allowed one. Bad. Um, he, he has to be allowed a couple. <laughs> and there's there's a... Okay, so there's some really great actors in it, too. 
Brendan Gleeson is in it. Uh, John Malkovich is in it. He plays Unferth. Uh, you know, like, there's some really good people in it, but man, it is bad. Robert Zemeckis directed this. It's bad. That's a weird choice for him. I'm not, like... I don't even know who that I, is. I was super... Back to the Future, Forrest Gump, Contact. Yeah, Robert Zemeckis. He must have just wanted to do it because the technology was new then. I was super I was super excited about it when it came out. And now I can't... The only thing I, I have in my head from is... I am Beowulf! Ray so Winstone bad. yelling that at the top of his lungs. And there's a terrible scene where Beowulf is hunting Beowulf's mother... And it's Angelina Jolie, and she raises, she like rises from this gold. pit of molten and, gold. Yeah. yeah, that's the only thing about this movie because I, I haven't seen this movie, but I remember seeing that scene in the trailer over and over because they hyped this movie up. Well, because it was like a mocap animated, like mm-hmm. like huge. It was a huge deal. It's the future of animation. Yep. We're gonna have live actors. Yep. Yeah. It- no, I. And I, this was my either freshman or sophomore year of college okay. when this came out. And I was not, uh, like, I, I wasn't seeing movies at the time because what was I going to do? Get on a bus and go out to the small? Yeah, yes. I, was, I was in, I was like my I'm, mid. I, I did that I'm enough. I'm pretty sure I saw like, this at the small. I'm, I'm pretty yeah, sure. But I wasn't going to do that for bail. I'm like, I was in my, my mid, mid-20s when this came yeah. out. Um. And I was super pumped for it. I was like, oh, man, we're going to get, like, this is You were be... still wearing the, um... My torque? It's, in, it's torque on the nightstand. The I know, but you don't wear it anymore. No, not very often. Um, but yeah, it's... I wish it was better. Um, they wow. do, they do touch on a lot of story elements that, uh, from the poem that other adaptations of Beowulf don't necessarily... Um, now there is, there is a film adaptation of this that is incredibly near and dear to my heart. I hope the words "13th Warrior" come out of your mouth. Yes, "13th Warrior." Um, One of my favorites. It was a terrible box office flop. Terrible flop. Um, but it's I can so watch that movie again and again, and it's an Antonio Banderas project, um, based somewhat. Uh, pretty faithfully, I think, actually, off of off of Eaters of the Dead, uh, Michael Crichton by book. Michael Crichton, um, which was a Beowulf novel he wrote based off of the writings of the uh, Arabian traveler uh, Ahmed Ibn Fadlan, who is a real historical figure, um, and. Crichton used the journals, the actual journals that have survived from Ibn Fadlan, to write the book. And one of the things that I love and hate about the book Eaters of the Dead is that it is really difficult because he continues to write it in the same journalistic style. It's really hard to tell where the actual journals of Fadlan trail off and become the creation of Michael Crichton. Um, so <laughs> I recommend reading the book, but the movie, I love it. I love it. Uh, it talks about, you know, so 13th warrior refers to Antonio Banderas's character, who is a diplomat 
um, who has been exiled, and he goes and he's with these geats and the the Norse the Norsemen, and well, they're taking they're taking. He's 12... not there on. I thought he was. Wasn't he taken? Wasn't he? A well, no, he was there. No, he was there on a diplomatic mission to talk to these guys because he'd been exiled. And like, okay, fine. How far away can we send you from Baghdad? Um, go talk <laughs> to go talk to these assholes in the cold. Um, and uh, Vladimir Kulich plays Bullfy, who is their Beowulf character, and then there's um, you know, there's a great scene where they're gonna pick the twelve guys that are gonna go with Beowulf, but they need thirteen, according to the they have the the seer comes in and she throws the bones and. And, uh, you know, they're like, the 13th man must be no Norse man. And so he gets voluntold that he is going on. <laughs> um, and uh, instead of Grendel, they are uh, a tribe of, of people who dress in bear skins and act like bears. And they attack the, the mead hall and they f- fuck them up. There's um, a beautiful scene as the, because t- the mother and the dragon are kind of, Inter- the same in this adaptation. Yeah, there's no dragon There's a beautiful fight. scene where there are all of these torches being carried by this army and it snakes down the mountain and it looks like a dragon they're coming all, to yeah, attack. They're all uh, cavalry on horseback, but they're riding in such a way that it looks like it's a snaky dragon coming down the hill and it looks really cool. Um, there's some great lines in it. Um... You know, like, uh, you know, the All-Father wove the skein of my life a long time ago. You know, go go and hide in a hole if you wish, but your life won't last one instant longer. Which is a very fatalistic, you know, Norse, you know, sentiment from that time. You know, the, the Viking warrior, like, look, what's going to happen is going to happen. And Beowulf himself, very fatalistic, you know, hey, I'm either going to kill Grendel or he's going to kill me. But, you know, that's what's going to go down. Um, and two I, dudes enter, one dude leaves. What do yeah, you do? and I, I really love it. Um, it is, like I said, it bombed at the box office. It did terribly. Um, but I really enjoy it as an adaptation of the Beowulf story. It's not obviously not a... So It's an adaptation are... of an adaptation. Michael Crichton's Eaters of the Dead is an adaptation of the Beowulf story from a completely different perspective. And then it is a you know adaptation of that story. But it is the they... Beowulf story done in a completely interesting way. There are a couple of other really interesting Beowulf adaptations. Um, one came out in 2017. I haven't been able to see it. Um, but it's called Beowulf Lord of the Bros. <laughs> it's a comedy rock opera. Okay. I am so, interested. Once theater gets going again, I would really like to see that as a touring production. Um, I I think you need to take that to the players. <laughs> do I need to take that to the players? Hi, I, guys. Can we do? There's also a metal opera. Okay, well, that's not surprising though. Like I think that yeah, that act that makes more sense. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Lord of the Bros. If if Christopher Lee had lived a little bit longer, his next heavy metal album probably would have been about Beowulf. You know, he did one about Charlemagne. So why not? I there is. I'm not sure I was aware that he had died. So and David Woodward yeah, did. Yeah, Christopher uh, Lee. Christopher Lee passed away a couple years ago. A few years back. Huh. Yeah. 
I mean, it's not I mean, surprising. Not, you know, it's a uh, no. As was said of Teddy Roosevelt, death had to take him sleeping, or there would have been a fight. Um, Christopher <laughs> Lee would have won that fight. Christopher Lee did win that multiple fight. times, time Christopher and time Lee again. Knew Tolkien. Christopher, well, Christopher that. Lee murdered Nazis. Yeah, ne- murdered Nazis. Ne- knew Tolkien. And then gave advice on what murdering dudes should sound like in Lord yes, of the Rings. When Christopher, when Christopher Lee was talking to Peter Jackson about the sound of a man being stabbed in the back, and he's like, oh, no, Peter, it sounds like this. I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've done it. No, yeah, I've been there. There are very few public figures who you look at them and you just and you can know for a fact that they've taken a life. Christopher Lee is one of them. Vladimir Putin's another. Strangely Uh, enough, Jimmy Stewart's also one. Christopher Lee was actually part of the special forces unit that uh, Albert Broccoli was in. The guy who created James Bond. Um, Albert Broccoli and Christopher Lee murdered Nazis together. (laughs) Christopher Lee is also the most believable Dracula. Yes, yes, by far. Um, and before this turns into the Christopher Lee podcast, as much as we could probably do an entire series of episodes simply off of Christopher Lee. Um, what other pins do we get? I do want to talk uh, a little bit about agency of women. Based uh, a lot of it based off of what. Uh, what I'm getting with the the Maria Devana Headley new translation of Beowulf, which I love because she throws in colloquial English into you know, like I said, uh, she her she starts with bro. So how Seamus Haney takes weight? There's a lot of debate about what weight should translate to H W A E T. Seamus, Seamus Haney went with so. She went with bro. Um, she disagreed with Tolkien there because Tolkien said if you're going to translate and not rewrite this, you should use traditional literary, you know. And she's, she basically says, fuck off. I'm going to use this, the words of the time, basically, that this is being translated in. So that way, you know, you know. She would have, she probably, there may be in here when I finally get through all of the, her translation that may say yeet the yeet at some point. I don't know. <laughs> yeet the yeet. Um, but there's a lot, a, a lot in her introduction to this where she's talking about the translations that have come of Beowulf's mother. Um, you know, the tradition of the monstrous depiction uh, assisted by monstrous physical descriptors perse- persevered in translation, though not necessarily in scholarship. Um, you know, the the word used to reference Grendel's mother, Aglikwif, as wretch, monster, uh, monster of a woman, but Aglikwif is merely the feminine form of uh, Aglika, which Kleber translates or defines as hero when applied to Beowulf. Or monster, so, demon, fiend when referencing Grendel, his mother and the dragon. So Beowulf gets that word and it uses to mean hero for him. But when referencing Grendel, Grendel's mother or the dragon, it becomes, you know, monstrous 
Um, you know, it's so, used in other English to refer as, you know, to Sigmund, you know, and means formidable. So really what it could be, the way she's looking at the translation, it could just mean formidable noblewoman. So what does that tell you? there's no physical you, description of her in the, play, in the poem. What does that tell you about the male gaze towards powerful women? Exactly. Throughout the ages. That it, instead of translating it that way... We instead get a translation of monstrous. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's kind so, of the, the that's one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to pick up this translation because I wanted so a a, she, a fresh. She goes. She goes. She fucks shit up for the Danes a little bit, but realistically, Beowulf defeats her quickly. Yeah. But she so fights. I, she I fights think... with weapons. She's not, you know, like she's a she's an angry mother. You know, she's a formidable woman. Um, one of the words that's used to describe her is sea wolf, but that word is also used to describe Beowulf, and doesn't mean like sea wolf doesn't have to be. You know, brim brimwolf is the the word in the, you know, but sea wolf. As a descriptor for Beowulf, doesn't mean that he has to be, you know, like it could be a, a, a descriptor for a, a raider or a warrior who travels by sea or. So, you know. s- syntax aside, syntax aside, Grendel's mother definitely, like, sure, she can be seen as a powerful figure. Yes, she does try to get revenge. But ultimately, she kills one dude. Yeah. Her son is further mutilated. And she's killed in her own home. Yeah. Yeah, she was unaware I'm, not, I'm just guilt. saying, there's not... Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of agency there. Like, oh, no. No, and I agree. But I'm, I'm saying there's a lot of opportunity to look at the play or the poem outside of... Of... Translation... I guess, and see that the the possibility is endless there for what the you know what was actually meant to come from the original poem. Like I, said, I, I agree, there's not there's not agency, but there should be. That's why. So the book Grendel by John Gardner is so powerful because it is taking that look at the other side of this story. So if you wanted to write about Grendel's mother telling Beowulf from that point of view, that would be very interesting. I'd and be very I think, interested in hearing uh, that. I think that uh, Maria Headley actually wrote a book, The the Mere Wife, a novel in which the Grendel's mother character, not necessarily a direct, a direct adaptation, but a modernized kind of version of that. That would be interesting to read. But as it's written... Oh, no, as it's written... Eh, agency, she gets pwned. Wiltho, who is the, the queen to Hrothgar, doesn't really have any agency... No, she's only allowed to speak on behalf of her kids. Um, the the mother, Grendel's mother, does not have agency. Um, the potential is there, but it, this is this is not her story. Um, I find it really interesting that if Beowulf ever takes a wife. We're not told about her at all, and we're told he doesn't leave an heir. Yeah, as far as as far as I can understand dies. from the poem, he never marries. Yeah, which I think is really interesting. If he becomes a king, yeah, 
part of you he know ne- yeah he, he doesn't leave a responsibility legacy. of a king is establishing a line of succession and beowulf doesn't yeah, he doesn't leave a legacy aside from his tales of his road deeds um he doesn't want to be king either so there's yep the the poem one of my favorite readings of the poem is that it is an elegy to this man um, instead of a heroic epic, the whole thing being just an elegy for a man who has passed. Yeah. I think telling. it makes a lot of sense, especially if you're not, you're not talking about anything more than that his legacy is this. This is all he's left mm-hmm. are these deeds that he's done and nothing else. Um, yeah, there is no there is no line of Beowulf, you know, following him, you know, becoming kings uh, after his death or anything like that. Oh, that's a wonderful tall tale, like Cassie said. It's a good tall tale. Yeah, it's a it's, it's a, fun. Yeah, um, I wish I wish there was more to it in certain ways, and I think that there's plenty of it in other ways. <laughs> Um, but it is, you know, it is, it is very clearly his story. It is the story of our hero Beowulf. Um, and he is kind of a dick. He swims back from Frisia hauling 30 sets of armor, you know, as a sign of his heroic strength. You know what? Um, I think he's got big Gary Stew energy. I think Jamie. He's just a little too perfect. I think Jamie would like Beowulf because Beowulf tells James stories. Yeah, <laughs> um, but that's that's the thing is, is is a lot of it. A lot of the embellishment is to set up this is our epic hero, and this is uh, these are the ways that we're going to tell our epic hero's strengths and everything. We're oh yeah, this guy, and that's uh, I like your your reading uh, as an elegy because it would have been told after his death, and you know, like oh hey, you know. Sailors well, on the on the sea going across. Oh, the scald is in the back of the longboat. Let me tell you about the epic geat. Most most heroic epic tales don't talk about death. Don't talk about the death of the hero. No, this one does. Um, Gilgamesh. You don't get all the way to Gilgamesh's death. It's not the point of it. No, oh, it's been a while uh, since I've read Gilgamesh, so I can't agree or disagree there okay well it's been years since i've read it either so if somebody else has got it they can come at me in the comments which we don't have because it's not that kind of thing <laughs> i mean they can get on our facebook and say something hey, we have one of those you, you can pop onto the discord i haven't been on the discord since i got a new phone because i can't remember my login they can patreon us and join our discord yeah for 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 just two dollars a month you can be on our discord and you can add us there and yeah you can get at us you can get after us big time if you want if you want to argue with me about beowulf or shakespeare i will argue with anybody we i need i'll sign back in just so i can have people come at me i'm for it Let's discuss. If you get in there specifically to yell at Beth, you let me know, and I will bother her over text and get her back. We'll up. make oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, we'll make sure that Beth is there to be added, for sure. Absolutely. And um, I am especially witty in text because I can look it over. It'll be spelled incorrectly, but it'll be whip smart. She can think about it for a minute before <laughs> she hits send. Um, Which I don't half the time. But 
this is such an important part of our cultural history as an English speaking people, um, where this comes from. If you pick up a copy of the Seamus Haney translation that has the old English next to, um, you know, next to his, his translated verse, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to look at Gardena in Gerdecum, you know, and be like, Oh, I know what the fuck that means. I mean, but this you, is a, it's historically important. I don't know if it's our most culturally important though. So I, culturally in maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe that is not the right word to use, but I do think that it is, I guess, I look to it as culturally important, but I place a lot of importance on my Scandinavian roots. Roots? And Beowulf is an epic about a Scandinavian hero. It's, you know, it's... Beowulf is my Arthur. Where... Absolutely. I like Canterbury Tales, I think, is a nice look at my background. Just having a nice, like, inch deep, mile wide scratch at what society looks like. Uh, well, yeah, especially at that time with Canterbury Tales with Chaucer. How about you, Cassie? Do you have any pins, anything? Nope. <laughs> 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 There's not, like, uh, as I said in in our first episode about this, the story is very straightforward at its heart. So there's not, like, a lot of B-plot going on in the story. There's not, like... <laughs> complex motivations for the characters it's i'm a hero there's a monster i'm gonna go kill it i'm gonna tell you about it three to four times well this is this is you know like uh this is the the story of a hero without the full hero's journey right yeah, and it's not a problem that the the poem is straightforward. It's not a shortcoming of it by any means at all. But it does mean that there's a little bit less to dissect and talk about when it comes to to pins because it kind of it kind of is what it is. Yeah, it's there on it the is. page. It is. It's all on the page. It's uh, this does not follow uh, the hero's journey. You know, there's yeah. We're not focused on a lot of character growth. There's not growth and development, really. I mean, there is some. You know, you get a little bit of retrospect, uh, introspection from Beowulf near the end of his life when he's going. You know, when he knows he's going to die. Um, um, but there's not, there's not character development. This is, I am. You know, oh, and it's an epic poem. And in epic how much poems, character development can you have over three days? <laughs> Fifty some years, but that's okay. Uh, uh, but this I, w- is- I wish this was the only time I wish this was on video because I love being here in Scrubby. All right, <laughs> this much of the book is three days, and this much of the book is fifty years. Well, that's more like- than yeah, but um. The, like Beth said, looking at it as an elegy for the character of Beowulf, you're not going to see that character development. Um, Right, because you're talking about, this was our great hero. We're going to tell you about the great hero things he did. 
Yeah, if I'm standing and up at Beowulf's the funeral. Rest of it because if you put it up next to Hercules um, stories, if you put it up next no, to. No, absolutely. It's the same thing. There's no develop. Paul Bunyan doesn't get character development either. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's in the same vein as Hercules or Paul Bunyan or, you know, uh, what's... Uh, Gilgamesh does have character development, but that's because it goes over, like, that one's actually over 50 years. The, yeah, say, but Gilgamesh thing, still is, you know, it's in the same vein as as the epic of Gilgamesh. The thing that I think is really interesting about this, like, the, the, the one thing that I think it would be worth diving into if we decided we wanted to spend way more time looking into this in the backstory why are you doing um, this at ten forty at night I, I i'm not i'm just if somebody was interested <laughs> in this what is really interesting is in how different translations of the same text would change how the story is being t- i mean because ryan you're not even all the way through that second version and it's already it sounds incredibly different from the shave his hand yeah and it's very it's very interesting i really enjoy i really enjoy it i mean i love the seamus haney that is that is you know the seamus haney is you know like if i'm gonna grab right. a beowulf like that's, that's my guy grab. But I and if you're if you're curious about I, it, um, it's the one with the with the with the chainmail guy on the front, <laughs> the one that you've almost certainly seen. Yeah, you've probably um, seen. This is like my third copy of this. I had to buy a new one from Half Price Books because I've loaned this out, like because that's how I am. <laughs> like, right. oh, you've not um, read the Seamus Haney translation of Beowulf? Well, here, here's mine. And then I forget who I loaned it to. But you've got those two, and then you've got the Tolkien, and I'd be really interested to hear how yeah, all of I'm those gonna, stack up I'm against each other. going to get my hands but on then, the Tolkien. On top of that, we also have the initial scribing of it with those two scribes who just layered a big, thick spackle of Jesus on top of the whole situation. <laughs> did you, did um, you think they even sanded it down after? Well, no, and I, I don't no, even know. I don't they even didn't. know if it's, that came Because it's real lumpy. It's some lumpy Jesus I don't in even know thing. if that came from oh, the initial please, scribes no, or if that, was, <laughs> if that was something the poet did when he spackled it in uh, I, on the I oral am tradition. Guessing it's a, from the way that it's ham-handed in there, it is my scholarly opinion that it was probably that it the was, scribes. It's the scribes. Well, they would have been monks. Yeah, exactly. More than likely. Yes. More yes, than likely, sure. they would have been monks. And at that time, but because they could present a pagan poem with this dude running around talking about Odin. So we got to make sure people remember that Jesus is a thing. Yeah. Exactly. In this day and age. So so not only do they do they not just excise all of the Norse mythology, but they also they just very ham with all of the grace and elegance of an episode of VeggieTales, just put some Jesus in yeah. there. Have you ever oh, used yeah. the so and word, you can find words. <laughs> find replace. Find replace. It's like yeah, they, they just they control, like Odin. Find replace F. God. Yeah, control F fucking uh so, so one of the it, things that it, that, oh, it is ham handed in that way yeah oh, no, go ahead. but i i think that is that is an interesting part of this story because we know for a fact that they were clearly talking about potentially even norse gods that we are unaware of 
who knows? Like the the we just don't know a lot about what was going on in that time. Um and this would have been a fantastic way to find out, except monks got a hold of it first. And I think that is an interesting story. Yeah. Oh, if for sure, else. for sure. Um so th- that initial uh intentional mistranslation combined with all of the following translations is uh something i think is just oh yeah it's it's incredibly interesting and if we were beowulf scholars we could probably do an entire podcast simply on you know a lot of that variation there lord i think people would hate that (laughs) except for like three people except for yeah the other three beowulf scholars people writing dissertations yeah we'd be we'd be a great boon to anyone writing a dissertation about beowulf um but everybody else would fucking tune out in no time so I do want to, like, real quick, the digressions, because they came up. We talked about the digressions a little bit. Um, you know, like, skilled scafing, you know, shield mm. and, you know, the Beowulf swimming and, and stuff like that. You know, uh, early a lot of the early scholars that looked into Beowulf talked about them in the same way that we kind of glossed over them a little bit earlier is they interrupt the story. Um, they or clog the action, distract the attention. Um But a lot more recently, uh, that they're they're seen more as uh, introductions, you know, to different story elements. Like I mentioned earlier about the 30, 30 suits of armor that he's swimming home with, you know, showing his strength. Um, but there's the shield sheafson narrative at the beginning. Uh, all the different. Uh, Descriptions of the Geats and the Swedish Geatish Wars, um, which is a say that five times. Swedish Geatish Wars. Swedish Geatish Wars. Swedish Geatish Wars. Did those those Swedish eat the Geat? Bork, bork, bork. (laughs) Um, and then there's uh the Lay of the Last Survivor, which was an old English poem. Uh, the Wanderer. And, like, some of the, the Beowulf stuff that he did, like, the swimming contest with Unferth. Or, no, the, the verbal, when he flights with Unferth, um, where they get in that verbal contest, to, you know, when they meet. Um, and, like, the swimming when he duels Brekka and he fights, you know, and they talk about Sigmund and the dragon. So, like, they're not necessarily, like, a lot of early scholars looked at him and were like this is bullshit why do we have to talk about this stuff but more recently it's it's using them as as comparative analogy right there's they're in the story for a reason and it's so that we think you think of beowulf like you think of oh sigmund okay well sigmund's a story that everybody knows you know when not necessarily anymore but you know not everybody's out there reading the nibelungen lead but I'm sorry, the what? Nibelungen lead. The ring cycle. Oh, okay. Oh, you could just call it what everybody knows it is. But actually, just... actually, uh, the biggest thing that Tolkien ever did uh, in relation to Beowulf was that he copied a lot of that style in Lord of the Rings. Yes. He had a lot of digressions where you would go into, you know, and then, you know, like, it may never come back up again, or it may, you know, come back up and, like, 
oh, that oh, story about Baron and Luthien is, you know, like, you know, Arwen and Aragorn. And so it all it always comes back up always at the Singer family dinner table. <laughs> yeah, and if you're if you're sitting around with Dan Singer, it will always come up. My dad, you can't have dessert till you can name seven horses from the Lord of the Rings. Well, luckily I'm at an age where I, I got can... Shadow Facts and Dave the Pony. That's it's it. Bill what did you pony. say? Bill. Bill the Pony. Not Bill. Dave. That's it? Bill the Pony. That's Man, it. Shadow Facts? Dan Singer kick you out of his fucking I said that one. Sh- yeah, Shadow Facts. He's the king of the horses, bitch. Come on. Man's Bane broke a man. Asphaloth? Not Halim, Asphaloth. Not Halim. Come on. Step up. Disappointed in you. Dan Singer wouldn't even let you eat dinner at his table if you call it Dave the Pony. <laughs> Dave the Pony. We named my uncle's car. He had this really gross brown um, Camaro. It smelled so bad. We nicknamed it Bill the Pony, uh, and he was mad about it for like a long time. Well, the funny thing is, is oh, at least Bill, give him Bill the Pony is the best horse. No. No. Bill is the best horse. I don't know. I'm a big Dave fan. Dave. Bill, Bill the Pony. <laughs> Dave. Look, All I can Bill think of when you said I'm a big Dave fan is me me being upset at people who called Dave Matthews band Dave. <laughs> I used to rant about that back in college. Oh God! The whole you band ranted is about Dave? something strange in college. Do you know? Do you know him? Like, do you know Dave Matthews? Are you guys his band personally? Are you friends? Does he come over? Do you kibitz? Calling him Dave. He has an entire band. Uh, you. So I think if we're talking about Dave Matthews' band, we're, we're probably ready to wrap this moment. Yeah, up. I think so. But no, I love Beowulf. I will say it again. Um, if you haven't seen the Thirteenth Warrior, give it a look. See, is is it's it? Worth you it. know, it it's it's great. It may not knock your socks off. You may not have the same enjoyment level that I do. It came out in the mid nineties, mid late nineties, late nineties. Mm-hmm. It's got Antonio Banderas in it. Um, it's got back some... when he was hot before he was a dad. Okay, I didn't know there was a distinction. Um, I haven't seen Antonio Banderas in anything in a while. Um, but it is, and it's an adaptation based on another adaptation. Um, so I can also recommend reading Michael Crichton's Eaters of the Dead. Um, as a great, uh, book adaptation. Um, track yourself down a copy of the Seamus Haney Beowulf. You will not be disappointed. Uh, he's a phenomenal Irish poet. And he does a really good translation of Beowulf. And I can't, you know, like I said, I'm not even all the way through it. But I cannot recommend more the Maria Devana Headley. I hope I'm pronouncing your middle name correctly. Uh, not that you're ever going to listen to this. Translation, new translation that came out in August of this year. I believe. Cool, cool, um, cool, 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 cool. cool. Yeah, so Fuck. Shakespeare talking about Beowulf. The uh, we wouldn't have. I think, we would think the moose out front has something to tell you. I think he does. I think he's telling me the podcast is over. Podcast is over, man. I'm gonna put on. This my, has been Shakespeare's I'm, podcast. I'm gonna put on my jean jacket. I'm Beth Roars. I'm Ryan Halfill. I'm Cassie Greenley. I'm Chase Greenley. Not Dickens. 
Oh, dear. Oh, man. Say goodnight, Beowulf. Good night, Beowulf. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> this has been a Ghostlight Media Production.